you stand and listen for the word of the Lord? This morning from Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who's dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I, the Lord, am your God and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days. I will pour out my spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Last week we were reading a portion out of the scriptures that Moses wrote. And Moses was laying out the foundational teaching that God is a giver. This week we read one of these 12 minor prophets, this time Joel. Joel picks up on the same theme. He too wants his people to know, even though he was probably writing hundreds of years later, he wants his people to know that God is giving to them. Listen again to verse 23 and 24. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. It's a wonderful blessing. It's a wonderful indication that this God is a giver and that we would want to draw close until we get to the very next verse. Then Joel begins to talk about the background of this. In verse 25, God's still speaking. He says, I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, all referring to the locusts or the grasshoppers, which I sent against you. Right after Joel has said that God's going to provide everything and so much and plentiful supply. Then he says, because I'm going to repay you for when I sent these insects that destroyed your harvest. It's hard to understand sometimes. But just like in the theology we were reading last week from Moses, that as the Jews come to believe there is one God, They believe God is involved in all of life. Joel's view of God credits God with sending both the bad 
and good into the lives of the people. So they credit God with sending the swarming locusts that devastate the harvest, and at the same time, credit God for sending the overflowing rains that make for such a bountiful and abundant harvest. We begin to get a glimpse into the developing idea of God and how the Hebrew people came to develop this covenant relationship with God as we remember that all the people around them are polytheists. That is, they're believing in multiple gods. So there might be a god of the harvest and a god of the weather and a god of fertility, maybe a god of war. But the Jews have come to a different understanding at this point in their life before God. They have come to no longer believe in these multiple gods as all the other cultures have. So I put in your outline, the Jews recognize this significant revelation that there is only one God. And they take the next theological step and say that God, this God, cares about us as people. And then they further assert that this God intends for us to experience justice and goodness. That indeed God wants good to come to our lives. See if you can hear it in verse 26 and 7. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I, the Lord, am your God and there is no other. You can see this development within the Hebrew people's consideration of God and how they've come to understand that not only is there this one God, but this God really and truly cares about them and is working for their good. The sequence of God meeting their physical needs and then meeting their spiritual needs reminded me of the work that Abraham Maslow did centuries after this was written. Do you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? When he observed human behavior, he said our primary need, our very first need at the base of this pyramid that he designed was for us to have food, water, the basics of life. He said once we have that, then we move on to shelter. Once we have that, we move on to thinking about belonging and loving and community and develop that. Next, he said, uh, the next step up after that is what he called esteem. He talks about the experience of self-respect as well as respect of others in community. And then finally, at the top of the pyramid, he said there was what he called self-actualization when we recognized we had talents and we we're using them to the full. Later in his life, he said really he should have added another one, what he called self-transcendence. When we recognize that there's something bigger than us going on in our world and that we can contribute to that and participate in that. He calls that self-transcendence. We might call it living a Christian life or a spiritual life. Joel captures and sees, recognizes a similar theme 
in this passage where he's saying God is meeting our physical needs. But God is going to do more. God is going to meet our spiritual needs as well. When he gets to verse 28, he moves from describing the physical needs God meets for us to the spiritual needs. It was the last two verses we read. Then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Can you begin to hear that Joel believes that God is doing good for them in terms of meeting their needs on the basics of life, but that God wants to go further with us and meet even our spiritual needs. Now that last part may have sounded a little more familiar than those earlier verses or some of the others we have read in the last few weeks. It's familiar probably because it's also quoted in the Christian scriptures. It's quoted by the apostle Peter in the book of Acts. After the Gospels is that book, the Acts of the Apostles. In there, there's a description of how the early church began to function. And it tells us in the second chapter that just 50 days after Jesus has been crucified and then raised, that the apostle Peter makes a speech and he begins to tell the people how God has been at work in this Jesus of Nazareth. And even though they had put him to death, God has raised him up and made him Lord in Christ by breaking the bonds of death and raising him. He becomes our Lord and Savior in Christ. He offers us forgiveness of sins. He's rehearsing all of this with the people who are listening. Then toward the end of that chapter, I want to read you a couple of verses because he's already quoted from Joel, the passage we just read this morning. But then he ends his speech like this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Can you hear this expanding view that the early church begins to glimpse that God's love that has come through Jesus Christ to them is not just for them, but is for them and for their children but also for those who are far away and to everyone that would respond to God's call. The idea that this love is being offered through the Jews, that God's Spirit is being poured out. Oh, Joel talks about that. But then Peter sees the sweep of the gospel expanding across the known world. Listen to that last verse again. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Peter is picked up and his message parallels that of Joel, that God's spirit's going to be poured out, is being poured out upon all flesh, upon all people, that God's spirit's going to transcend common barriers reaching out to all. But it's not only Peter in the early church that begins to see this. His contemporary Paul is also preaching and teaching and writing. 
in many places, he picks up on this same theme about how God's love is expanding as it's come through the Jews and Jesus Christ, but it's expanding to the whole world. I've just chosen one example in his letter to the early Christians in Galatia and those who are considering faith. In the third chapter, in verses 26 and 7 and 8, he writes this, For in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Can you hear how Peter and Paul have picked up on this theme and begin to understand that God is doing a new thing through Christ, but not just for our good and our salvation, but for the good of the whole world and the salvation of any that would respond. It begins with the Jews and develops over time. We hear it in Joel, but then we hear it again through those preachers in the early church, Peter and Paul as they began to see God's Spirit working in ways that they could not previously have imagined. But all of them also recognized that we struggle with this, that we struggle with truly trusting that God's Spirit's being poured out upon us, that God is really giving us gifts, that we really can trust God to provide for us. It is one thing to hear about God's Spirit pouring out gifts abundantly and another to trust that God will continue to do so or that God will do so in my life. We all have to make decisions of faith, decisions of trust about whether or not we're going to be followers of Christ, whether or not we're going to believe His message and trust what He says about God. We all struggle, I think, probably this week with something similar to that when we're thinking about our pledge, our estimate of giving. If I give this amount, will I still have enough? Or if I give that amount, will God really provide? But the mistake so many of us make is we start thinking about our resources first. And we begin to look at our limited financial resources and begin to get caught in the limits and the scarcity and the fear takes over. There's another way to come about it. We could start with the spiritual side and begin to think about God as a giver and the abundance that God provides and how Scripture talks about that God is really working for our good and will provide for us if we will step out in faith that we can experience it. If we start with the limits and what we can do on our own is one experience. Yet if we can begin with God's abundance, then it's a different experience. Reminded me of my experience after I was reappointed from here several years ago and sent to First United Methodist in Enid, Oklahoma. I had not yet been there 30 days, and I was meeting with the trustees, and they were all but panicked. They said, we have to do a capital campaign. We have this whole list of deferred maintenance and needs, and we want you to take care of that. I said, really? 
I said, I've heard that we're having trouble even underwriting our budget here. And they said, oh, yeah, that's true. That's why we've put all this off. I said, I think maybe we better get the operating budget in order first. Do what we can on this. And then in a few years, think about if we could take care of all of these needs. They had roofs that were leaking. They had a building that needed to be resealed. They had new vans that needed to be purchased. They had water fountains that needed to be fixed. There was a long list. Well, we began to work on that together. They did what they could. We got the budget side of things in order. And then after I'd been there about three years, I said, now I think we can look at these capital needs, these capital projects, and maybe we can put together a capital campaign. And so we began to do that. They worked really hard at detailing so that we could explain to everyone in the congregation what the needs were. But I said, before we go to ask them for the money, I would like for us to start with the spiritual side of things. If we can get the spiritual part right, I think the money part will take care of itself. And so we hired a consultant and she worked with us and we offered everyone during the season of Lent a prayer question that we asked them to pray over and over. And the question was, Lord, what do you want to do through me to fulfill your will for our church? And we asked people to pray that all through Lent. We put together a Lenten devotional guide with stories of faith from people in that congregation of times they had trusted God, and how they'd come to trust God, those kind of things. And then just like I asked you to do this week, we had a week toward the end of that season where we asked everybody to really focus in on how much they might give, where God was leading them in terms of what they could give. Well, the gifts came in, and they were looking for just over a million dollars, and they got about $1.3 million pledged. It was enough for all of the projects to be taken care of. It was wonderful. But you know, the stories people started telling me about that campaign had nothing to do with the projects. I had one person come to me and say, this is the first time ever in my life that I felt God's actual leading in terms of something I should do. Another said, this experience provided more spiritual growth for me than anything I've ever experienced in the church except my conversion to Christianity. Another shared with me a series of coincidences in her life that led her to believe that God was truly leading her and showing her what she should do. Some people in that church made the largest pledge and gift they'd ever made to the church. All of these stories about spiritual growth, and we were fixing roofs and air conditioning. But we started with the spiritual foundation and I think we got that part right. And that led us into the experience of being able to raise the funds to take care of the capital projects. Joel says that when we begin to trust that God's spirit is being poured out upon us, we can dream dreams and see visions and step into the future with confidence 
because we trust we are following God. May we all trust that God will provide. Amen. And thanks be to God.